0: Armstrong looking, holding, throws out a flat pass caught by Amir, trying to avoid the rush he does, he has a first down, bouncing off tacklers, to the 45, Amir to the 40, Amir to the 35, 30, 20, 15, 10, 5, oh, touchdown Amir Abdullah. Quarterback drop Armstrong into the
1: secondary, Armstrong's got a step, touchdown! You are listening to The Last Take. The premier sports show for college students by college students. With hosts Dylan Juergens and Blake Mace. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Last Take Podcast. I'm Dylan Juergens. I'm joined by my co-host Blake Mace. We have a big guest today. Uh, he is the 2022 Nebraska Sports Writer of the Year, beat reporter for Nebraska football and baseball for Omaha World Herald, and a University of Nebraska-Lincoln co-GMC alum. We are joined by Evan Bland. So how's, how's it going today? Doing great, guys. Thanks
0: for having me. This is fun. Of
1: course. So uh, the what we have on the docket today, so we have a quick interview segment, then we'll go quick re- recap on basketball last night and the last like week and a half. Um, and then we'll go over for football. So we'll talk about the two late commitments yesterday for National Signing Day. Overlook at, like, the 2024 class in general. And we'll also talk about Matt Rule's press conference. And then we'll go into baseballs because baseball, baseball season is just around a corner. So Yes, it is. And then we'll finish off with our Super Bowl pick. So we'll start with our interview segment. So we're kind of going to start. Um, I'll have Blake, you can go first. But um the goals kind of start with your time here at you, at the university. So. Sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot's changed. Um, what was it like, you
2: know, uh, back in the co-JMC then to now? Like, what were some of the things that were different?
0: Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm from Lincoln, grew up, went to Lincoln Southeast, uh, came to Nebraska in 2004, graduated uh, at the end of 08. So I spent a lot of time here in Anderson, had a great time. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of the rooms bring back some memories doing – Television side, uh, writing side. Back then, it was the the media uh, paths were separate. You could do news editorial, or you could do broadcasting, mm-hmm. and I actually did both because I even then you could kind of see like, okay, it's getting to a point online, digitally, where you want to be a good writer, but you also want to be able to speak about things. There there weren't really podcasts at the time, but you could you know video was was more important. And so that was a big thing. And it was just a bunch of trial and error, man. You know, I I love the professors that I had here at the time. Uh, Charlene Behrens was one of my uh, professors that I worked a lot with. I believe she retired a a few years ago. But, you know, it's a great chance to just kind of find what you're good at, find your voice, read a bunch, watch a bunch, take little bits of that, and then find an area— uh, that you have a passion for. And, and clearly we're sitting here talking about sports. And so I think we've kind of identified that would be an area for us. Um, I also wrote a lot of daily Nebraskan at the time that was pre Twitter. And so it was a lot, much more of a, of a prominent presence on campus and was down there a lot. And just a bunch of students, again, kind of figuring things out, making mistakes, trying different things. Um, you know, and, and, and that's really kind of where it went. I didn't come to college knowing that I wanted to be uh, in journalism at all. Um, it just kind of kind of broke that way. And you try a bunch of stuff and, and figure it out. And uh, I definitely left Nebraska in a much better place than when I came for sure.
2: Yeah, that's actually kind of like one of the questions I was thinking about was, uh, you know, before um, coming to uh, Nebraska, like, what sparked your interest to become a journalist?
0: Well, when I was growing up, I wanted to be an optometrist. I had nothing to do with sports. Uh, You know, I I wanted to work with eyes, you know, kind of strange, but I got into high school and started following certain teams. Uh, Back then, the Chicago Cubs were on WGN, and so I fell in love in 1998 with the home run race, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, watched a bunch of those those games. Uh, You know, the Atlanta Braves were on TBS, and so really got into baseball. I didn't Really get into Husker football until I was in high school. In fact, the first game I went to at Memorial Stadium was actually working with Valentino's helping make pizzas behind the scene. And so I think that was 2002. Um, And just kind of, you know, that's just kind of what it was. And then I got to college, and initially I wanted to get into radio play by play. And at the time, I believe that's changed. You guys could tell me if that's changed. But at the time, as freshman, you weren't able to do play-by-play with sports at Nebraska. They said you have to at least be a sophomore. And so I had a student advisor who said, you know, you can go to the student paper and they'll actually pay you to write about sports. And I'm like, they'll pay me? You know, I would, I would pay them to write about sports. And so I went down there and that was kind of the beginning of the end. I fell in love with the craft and that side of things. Love the research, the interviews, um, you know, setting the scenes, that sort of thing. So that's kind of where it – took off and then I graduated uh, in the heart of the the Great Recession at the end of 08. And so uh, I had been doing some corresponding work with the Omaha World Herald at that time. A few months went by and then an opportunity opened and and it's been that's been my career ever since. Yeah. Um, Going back to the DN
1: like I I've interviewed you before. Like I didn't ask you what was like because I know now they do like certain beats and stuff. Did you have like a certain beat when you worked for the DN? Or or it was just in general?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the first semester I was in there, uh, spring of 05, would have been just sort of general assignment stuff. I think I did a couple basketball games off a radio broadcast. Uh, my first actual beat was later that spring. I did track and field for a semester. I did um, volleyball in the 2005 fall season when they made the, the championship match and got to – talk with Sarah Pavan and Jordan Larson and all the stars of that particular team. And then, um, covered baseball a little bit at that time as well. And then that was the, that was the Mike Anderson era. They had just come off a college world series run and then football the last few years after that covered a couple of Bill Callahan's teams, the first Bo Pelini team in 2008 and, I uh, did some a uh, little bit of odd, you know, um, Side odd jobs, I suppose, as well, did some wrestling features and different things that would pop up. But um, that was kind of the ascension. That was just kind of how it worked. You know, you took whatever job or, or beat was available, and then you worked your way up. And if you proved as a student that you could balance academics and something bigger like a beat, then you, you moved your way up. And so a lot, of, a lot of really talented people came out of the Daily Nebraskan in that era. Got a lot of guys who are still uh, covering the beat here or in the field. Um, so it was a really great time.
2: And then, like, when did you discover, like, your knack for writing? Because, I mean, it's one thing to say you want to become a journalist, but it's a different thing knowing that you actually have, like, the good chops to become a writer.
0: That's true. You know, I always think back, my senior year in high school, I was t- I took an English class, and we read Hamlet by Shakespeare and had to write a report on it. And I remember it was just a boilerplate, uh, you know, three-point essay, and I remember my English teacher saying, you know, you're pretty good at this, like, you know, you, maybe you have a gifting here. And I had never heard that before. And I was like, oh, maybe maybe I do. And, you know, I wasn't a guy who journaled or wrote a lot of fiction or anything growing up. Uh, but I just, I don't know. I, I liked the the research aspect of it. I liked the interview mm-hmm. aspect of it. And I, I always kind of have felt over the years, like if I'm struggling to write something, then it either means I haven't researched the topic well enough or I haven't asked enough questions to the people around. And so I always have felt like, you know, maybe there's some some skill there. And it's certainly I I don't feel like I've ever arrived and I like to take bits and pieces from other authors, but I think just as much it's asking the right questions, it's preparing the right way. And then if you have all that information, then it becomes a lot easier to write a narrative Mm -hmm. and a story that's entertaining as opposed to, you know, something out of a textbook or something that's a little more dry.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, moving more to like nowadays, uh, this is one of the questions that, that I thought about was, uh, you know, journalists, they deal with a lot of online hate, you know, especially because on Twitter with sports, you know, people see one tweet and, you know, they, they fire off something on there. I've done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, how do you uh, really deal with those like negative responses or if you've dealt with it, like how you've dealt with it or if you haven't then like.
0: Well, you know, I think you have to be willing to engage the the reader so like if it's if it's something ridiculous like you, know, you suck well you know what are we talking about yeah that's a that's pretty subjective mm-hmm. but but if you know if there's legitimate criticism there or mm-hmm. a legitimate point to be made yeah I mean I'm I'm willing to listen I, I one thing I try to do in what I do is to have a pulse on what matters to to the readers to the fan base you know mm-hmm. what's what's the important topic what's something people are curious about what do they want to know and so you know, I don't ever want to just sort of unplug from that because I think that's really important yeah. to know. You know, what's what's on people's minds and how can how can I add to that discussion, add context, add color, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are certain things like you know, you can live tweet a game, live mm-hmm. tweet a Nebraska football game, and uh, something that maybe I would see live from six floors up in the press box maybe differs from the replay that's being shown on TV. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, sometimes that stuff's subjective. Sometimes, um, you know, maybe I need to see the replay. <laughs> sometimes, but but you know, I I try. I, I really feel like I am trying to. I try to be fair. Like I'm not out to get mm-hmm. anybody. Yeah, I think yeah. that's important. You know, you build when you're in this over time. Like you build up trust and relationships, and people understand where you're coming from. I think it's harder on the front end to to establish that because people say, you know, why why should I trust you with my story? Why should I Open up to you about this thing because I don't I don't know if you'll burn me or not. So I think that that equity that you build up relationally over time really helps too.
1: You were talking about stories and all that. What would you say is the most the the story you've written as you've been with the Omaha World what was the biggest impact it made on you or your career in general?
0: Well, this particular when you're covering Nebraska football, especially like there are a lot of people that go to press conferences. I mean, you're, you're talking. You know, probably 15 people that cover it regularly, and like maybe only. And then on during the season, when you're talking about um, TV guys that are there, or or sort of ancillary people that are there, you're talking up to 40 people. So like, for me, it's always about how can I. I mean, you got to do the daily stuff, you got to do the press conferences and the news of the day. But like I, what I want to do, what interests me is the other stuff. What what can I? Who can I talk to? that's different. What kind of ideas can I pursue that are different? So like one thing I really enjoyed doing this last year was, uh, we knew it was the hundred year anniversary of Memorial stadium. And so, uh, last year around this time I went down and met with, the the facility leader at at Memorial stadium. I said, will you just take me around and like show me over the course of a hundred years, some quirks that have popped up here, just things maybe people wouldn't know about. Um, and so spent a couple hours going around, and there were a lot of really interesting structural things that have changed, uh, additions that they've made, things that are still original, things that are, are sort of tucked behind a door off, off a main corridor. And it was really cool, and it was fun to write. It was different than anything that anyone else had, and it was probably the story that I've gotten the most response on from fans and from readers from that, because uh, it it spans generations, and people are like, oh, you know, here, here's a picture of, of me from 1958 when I was a you know a kid selling chairbacks, or here's uh, a picture that my grandpa had. That did you know there was a printing press in um, south in in West Stadium back in the day, like back in the 20s? Wow! So like just stuff mm-hmm. that that connected with people, and like for uh, in the 20s, players at that time in the 1920s. Players in the summer would help paint Memorial Stadium, and so there are still spots that you can go to that have initials where guys they got done painting, and they're like, you know what, I'm going to put my initials over here, and you know, just stuff like that. Now, that now if you're a fan and you go and you say, oh wow, that adds to my experience because it's it's Memorial Stadium is modernized, but it's still a piece of history, and mm-hmm. it's still. Uh, you know, a time capsule in some ways to things that used to be. So I think that's just one example of something that you know, you just try to be creative. You try to think of something that's outside your daily rhythm. It's going to take a little bit more time. And you know, if you if you research it well and execute it well, then oftentimes the payoff can be pretty meaningful.
2: Yeah, I know. I certainly enjoyed uh, that story. You know, kind of thing with like Memorial State. I mean, it's just, it's almost like a museum because the way they've added, you know, the new stuff just encap- encapsulates the old you know and they also have the new stuff around it so it's really cool to be able to see all that stuff and yeah that article was uh really awesome
0: no appreciate that
1: yeah um since you've been in lincoln for with omaha world herald covering nebraska like football and baseball um what would you say the biggest difference between scott the scott frost era and the matt rule era as a from a media perspective because as a fan you can see like well we look maybe a little better, but we'll also, first year looks the same. So what has been the biggest change or difference uh, from a media perspective?
0: Well, you know, I think the in-season access has been pretty similar in terms of how many times you hear from the head coach, uh, player availability, that sort of thing. Um, I think probably the biggest difference has been in the off-season. You know, Matt Rule in December gave a – press conference like two days after the regular season ended and then another one on signing day and then just another one here this week on traditional signing day february 7th and you know already that's a little bit more than what scott would have done i think he 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 did one on signing day and and then that might have been it for a few months until spring started and so i think rule definitely has more of a an awareness of the importance of keeping Nebraska football sort of front of mind for mm-hmm. people. Eh, not every week, necessarily, but just giving updates and uh, allowing fans to connect and be part of the program. Um, you know, I can say, personally, I talked with with Scott sort of off the record or, or sort of, out of outside of a main availability once in the time that he was at Nebraska. And with Matt Rule, it's already been, I think, two or three times that he – uh, you know, sets aside a little time with people that cover it every day to just, you know, be sure that we're on the same page about certain things that maybe he can't say up front, but that informs our coverage, mm-hmm. which then in turn helps fans connect to the team better. So I think that's probably where I would start. Um, you know, they're, I think both coaches relate differently, you know, when Scott, was engaged he was he was insightful and at times i thought pretty funny um matt rule has approached things i think different from any coach i've ever covered in the sense that even at a press conference he is he's talking to his players i mean he's talking to us he's answering our questions but he's really talking to the players he knows that players are listening to what's going on um and so he's he he's he's messaging them through us and and sort of in the process is bringing fans and media into what it looks like to be a coach and kind of his perspective and his approach. And so I think that's been a really unique thing as well.
2: Yeah, I guess that's a question that you were really uh, burning to ask, because I mean, from the outside perspective, you really don't know a lot of the media stuff, and especially us just now getting involved, being able to have, you know, to go to those media press conferences. So it's uh, cool to see that insight.
0: Yeah, for sure. And It's just helpful, right? Like mm-hmm. there are certain things you just can't ask in a, in a press conference, especially today, like I, in some ways, I kind of, I feel bad for the next generation coming up because in 2006, like you didn't have live streamed press mm-hmm. conferences. It wasn't a show. It wasn't, it wasn't for fan consumption. The, yeah. the purpose was to, to interact with the media and so then they would disseminate that out. But as media has changed, it's become more of a show, which in some ways it, I think fans probably enjoy. But it's harder, I think, to break in and, and ask some of the more nuts and bolts sort of detailed questions that you could. That's harder to do when things are live streamed and thousands of people are tuning in. Actually, before we uh, transition
2: over into basketball, I got uh, another question that kind of relates to that. Just like the ability to put stuff out like right away. Like, how do you how are you able to like, especially like the Dylan Raiola commitment? Like that was a whole fast ordeal. How are you able to get like a story out right away?
0: Well, oftentimes, like in that situation we kind of knew it was coming mm-hmm. for a while like there were rumblings days ahead of time and um you know he, he th- that he was coming on an official visit and at that point like there are just certain things that you're like okay we, we need to have something ready mm-hmm. for this and, and Royle was an example of that oftentimes with recruits um you can kind of tell when something's coming they've come on an official visit or you re- reach a certain point in the offseason where it makes sense um you know some quite honestly sometimes they'll say hey I'm committing, but here's when I'm going to do it, and I'll talk to you ahead of time. But don't don't put anything out. You know that's that's not all that uncommon either. So, uh, you know, you do the best you can. Sometimes uh, we're, we're prepared, like uh, the Glenn Thomas hire. That was a situation as quarterbacks coach where his name had been out there. It made a lot of sense for a number of weeks. He it was a former rule staffer, and it's like okay, we should probably just have something ready. So when that's announced, we're not scrambling. But certainly there are other instances where a recruit chooses to commit on a Tuesday night at nine thirty, or, uh, something su- surprising happens. And at that point, um, you know, you're sort of on call and you have to drop what you're doing mm-hmm. and, and look into it. Um, so, you know, I guess the answer is you try to do the best you can to be prepared. You're informed and, and can take educated guesses on things. And sometimes it works out and sometimes things still surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just know it's just that
1: news just comes out of nowhere. Like, the Dylan Raiola, I was not expecting. I was just sitting at my desk. I don't even know what I was doing. Probably probably playing Xbox, and then all of a sudden my phone blows up. I get, like, 30 tweets. It was a mix from Sean Callahan to you to Husker Online, like, just saying Dylan Ryle is committed, and I freaked out. So, I was like, <laughs> Yeah, it's just crazy with all that news that comes out. Mm-hmm. So quickly, I just as – as someone that wants to go into sports right, I'm like, how do you get this so fast? So, like – get stuff out that fast, that's pretty insightful. So, um, so yeah, we're going to move on. A uh, quick recap of Nebraska basketball. So, we haven't had an episode in the last two weeks. So, mm-hmm. um, that would have pushed it back to probably Wisconsin, I'm assuming, or I don't even know. Yeah. You it could start at Wisconsin, I start guess. Start Wisconsin, yep. Well, yeah, Nebraska, Top two top ten wins, three quad one wins. So, it's a nice, it's a nice look. I, I know you don't specifically cover basketball, but – I mean, as a Husker fan, I'm sure
0: that was pretty crazy seeing, you know, two top 10 wins. Uh, Uh, I mean, it hasn't happened in, what, 70 years mm -hmm. since they've done that? Two top six wins, at least. I know that was the stat that was out there. Yeah, I mean, if you play every game at PBA and (laughs) and Nebraska might be national champs uh, in March. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. So, I don't know. Like, if I covered the team, the thing that I would be curious, like what I would be researching right now, is like what's the most extreme like home road splits of an at-large NCAA tournament team? I don't know the answer. I'd be curious to know. Hmm. Like, yeah. like they've dominated at home. Their only loss at home is to Creighton, uh, and then really their only quality road win. I think their only road win is at Kansas State, yep. which yep. continues to be a gift that gives as they beat Kansas here recently as well. But like, it's just it's. It's a fascinating team to me because it's it it looks the part. It looks physical. It has complementary pieces. It has shooters, big men. Um, you know, when they want to defend, at times they can be really strong with that. Uh, but like, what is it like? What does it look like if they get to twenty wins and they're dominant at home and they can't do anything on the road? Like, how do you, if you're a committee, a selection committee member, like, how do you process that? Um, knowing that they're not going to be home. I guess they won't technically be on the road. They'll be a, at a neutral site. But just a really fascinating team. Like You've seen the, the highs beating Purdue by 16, and you've seen some of the lows losing at Minnesota and Rutgers and teams like that. So like the range of outcomes that this team has on any given night is got to be about as wide as anything you've seen in the country. I think that's what fascinates me the most.
2: Yeah, it is very interesting because last year it felt like towards the end of the year. I mean, we were just able to go on the road and win in some places. You know, um, Rutgers last year when they were a little bit better, we were able to win on the road and that was a huge accomplishment. And now this year, besides that K-State win, it's just, it, it's honestly bizarre because, you know, I looked at that Illinois loss. I'm like, you know, they played a close game at, to the end right there and got it within close. I'm like, this is this is the turning point. They're going to get a road win here. After that,
1: we went up five, Nebraska went up five spots in the Kempom mm-hmm. after losing in mm-hmm. overtime. So yeah. that's kind of bizarre on its own. But then you get, that, and then last night's performance.
2: Which they just started off slow, and, you know, you get from behind, and honestly, you can you can only come back from so much, um, especially, you know, Wisconsin, Illinois, being down late and stuff like that, it, you know, you run out of chances there late, but it's just very interesting, like you said, just how are they able to do the stuff they are at home? Yes, you got a great crowd, but, I mean, there are other games, like uh, North Dakota early in the year, which, I mean, I went to that game, and we were down at halftime, mm-hmm. and, uh you know, the crowd wasn't necessarily in it as much as they have been for, like, uh, um, Ohio State or, or Wisconsin. But, yeah, it's it's just kind of bizarre. Like, again, we got the pieces, right? You know, and we the, they show they can do it, but then just there, there are some things in there. Like, I feel like this Northwestern loss is a little bit different than the other ones because, like, we've been playing, you know, solid defense, you know. As long as we really don't give up, like, 50 points and a half, we have a good chance of winning. I've looked at a lot of our losses, and they've really come – if we've let up more than 50 points and a half. And, you know, that Northwestern game, I just felt like that was our first, like, bad defense, like, true bad defensive game since, like, Iowa or or maybe even uh, Rutgers where it's just purely the defense wasn't playing that great. So I thought we'd worked on those things, uh, spacing and stuff like that, running running different schemes. But just just bizarre. I I, I don't know. Even when they set the precedent early, you know, going up, and having big leads and stuff like that, they still end up finding a way to... Tend to losing it. So very interesting. Going to be those home wins, you know, getting to that 20-win threshold, I feel like is where you start to get uh, comfortable with a selection. But still, I I think a road win is uh, you have to get one. At I least guess. one. Yeah. Just, well, get just
0: one. I think the next two weeks, what? They've got two, two games, I believe, in the next two weeks, which is probably good for this team. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been a little bit of a grind. They've traveled a lot. Games that are pretty close together. And, like, you don't want to say, like, these are winnable games mm-hmm. for Nebraska. Like, what the schedule is down the stretch. Now, if you've been a Nebraska fan for any amount of time, you kind of you kind of get uncomfortable because yep. this is the point where things tend to fall apart yeah. for this program over mm-hmm. the years, where maybe they're on the bubble and then you hit into February and things, the wheels kind of come off. So yep. I think this is a really interesting test to where it's not the juggernauts at the top, but it's like the middle class, the lower middle class— how do they handle those? Mm-hmm. How do they handle being the favorites and being in a position to actually have something to lose, as opposed to being kind of the scrappy underdog hoping to to mess somebody else up? So, it's a real. I think it'll be the litmus test of the season. Can you take care of business when you're expected to? It's a really unfamiliar position for Nebraska.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Really, mm-hmm. I mean, those those wins stretch. You gotta you gotta win those games and. You never know. I mean that that kind of like that loss to to Rutgers was kind of like the the scary one and granted that was uh, at Rutgers but it still was like one of the ones where like
1: you could have come had the lead yeah. for a good portion of the game at least. Mm-hmm. It was close in the second half so it's not that much you can do when you kind of just lo- lose all the momentum. That's that's been the theme this year. The runs, the is... runs have been atrocious like North Nebraska cut the lead last night to like 8 Something like that. Something like that. And then they went on a 10-point 10 run, 10 mm-hmm. run. So, like, even Wisconsin, like, how that game started was – we were, Nebraska was down 19, and C.J. Walsh decided to show up and just not miss a three for entire half. So that did help. But, I mean, like you said, we got a couple games here. We got two games, two home games, in, a week in between. So you got Michigan on Saturday, and then next Saturday you got Penn State – so, two winnable games. Michigan, I don't think they'll have Doug McDaniel still. He is still suspended for away games. At least, we're like one of the last games that he'll be suspended for away games. So. And then Penn State's on fire right now. I mean, they've knocked off a lot of good teams, like even Wisconsin. I mean, that was last month, but it's a team you can't overlook. Michigan beat Wisconsin last night. So, there's teams you can't overlook, mm-hmm. but definitely winnable games. Um, so, we can move on to football. So it was the second. Oh, technically, it used to be the real signing day, but mm-hmm. now it's the, well, it's still like just National Signing Day, but you had the early back in December. Um, so yeah, Nebraska landed two commitments from Camir Prescott, three star safety, and then Keone, I don't know how to say the last name. Will Height. Will Height. So Keona Will Height, three or four star edge, depending where you look. Uh, rivals on three, whatever. So um, personally, I don't know too much. Um, I know Keon uh, will. How do you say it again? Will Height. Will Height. Uh, he was originally Washington commit, and then for a while it looked like he's going to UCLA. I find that pretty interesting. That out of nowhere, kind of decides to come to Nebraska. It's interesting. Look at it.
0: Yeah, uh, and that was really kind of the the excitement of the last week was Will Hight. Like his situation, he, he's from Tucson. He commits to Kellen DeBoer and Washington. Well, the board takes the Alabama job, right? So he, he he had already signed his letter of intent. They release him from that. Then it's looking like UCLA is the place, and his head coach there, Chip Kelly, starts interviewing for NFL jobs. So he backs out of that. And I think the, ultimately the stability of Nebraska helped win out there. Um, and it's just – like that's just the landscape of college recruiting right now is like so much of it is – Based on circumstances, you can say the same about most of the guys uh, they got out of the transfer portal. But, uh, you know, Will Height was a guy that they have liked. And, you know, again, like you can't in December. Who knew that something like that? You know, nobody knows. He's signed. He's done. And, you know, you, you, you keep tabs on it and opportunity arose. And he's one of those guys. Matt Rule said it, as pre- said it at his press conference. You know, he's one of those guys that can make a difference in a game. He said, you know, those guys and linemen, you know, you're going to take them. If a quality guy like that is 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 out there and uh, available, then you take them and you figure out the numbers and you figure out the stuff after that. And I think Will Hyatt fit in that category for his ability to get after the passer, and, you know, he'll be here this summer. And maybe he'll take the Cam Lenhart, Prince Will, Uman, Mielin path and be a contributor right away. And maybe he'll develop for a year or two and, and could be a playmaker after that. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, and then Camir Prescott—he was trending Nebraska for a while, and then I forgot what day he committed. But um, well, officially uh, on Sunday yeah. day, yeah. So um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Just adding to that absolutely massive recruiting class this year. I—it's this third from at least in the top fifty. It's the third highest or the first highest, and you, if you discount like the the academies. Like the military academies. So I mean, that's crazy. I didn't expect us to have Nebraska have thirty one commitments. Yeah. And it's without including that. without including Transfer Portal right. and you have the five or six from the transfer portal. It's absolutely crazy. Um so like just looking over it, like what are like I mean, what are players from from your understanding that may have the biggest impact going into next year? Obviously
0: you have the obvious one like Dylan Ryan, yeah, but sure. Uh, you know, I think you have to start by looking at team need a little bit, which is one reason that, you know, Riolà is an obvious candidate, not just because he's a five-star, but because that was a position of weakness for Nebraska last year. Mm-hmm. So you come in there. Uh, you know, I think you look at some of the receivers next year. Uh, I particularly really like Ja'Cory Barney's game out of Miami. I mean, he's somebody who I think will play pretty quickly. Um, and, again, you look at the opportunity in that room. They have some good young talent, Malachi Coleman and Jalen Lloyd, uh, but not a lot of uh, not a lot of depth or not a lot of proven depth there. So I think he's somebody who has that speed, who has that confidence. Um, you know, he played some quarterback in high school, and so I think he has a an advanced understanding of kind of what it takes. And I think we've seen at Nebraska oftentimes that's the thing that's held really talented guys off the field. Has been they just don't have a firm grasp of the offense, and I feel like he's somebody. Uh, Who could step in right away? I mean, certainly from the transfer side, I think you can make the case for most of them to be starters next year. Um, You know, Dante Dowdell, to me, is one of the the best gets they had in the class. He's technically a sophomore, but he played in six games last year. He was a former top 10 running back prospect in the 23 class. Uh, You look at some of his film, like, he's a bigger back who can do it all. And again, that's a position where Nebraska's had had some running back depth there, but they they haven't had that guy be the feature guy and coaches for years have said we would love somebody to be that feature guy really since Divina Zigbo in 2018 and even he didn't start the year in that role he had to kind of force his way and force the issue so like they, it's been really since Amir Abdullah that since they've had that feature guy yeah. and, and I think Dowdell has the mindset, the ability, the pedigree to maybe be that guy so that's somebody else I would look at too But, but primarily I think it's offense right like you look at what the defense was Um, they're going to play some younger guys but I think in terms of maybe bigger impact bigger role you just got to look at offense because of the struggles that they had last year
1: yeah just I feel like every week there's always something like Mm -hmm. I can't tell you the last time Nebraska didn't have a quarterback that threw for less than a thousand yards Mm -hmm. like it's kind of weird like I mean you didn't have like the greatest seasons but I mean they normally over like threw more than a thousand yards and we had three different quarterbacks this year and something went wrong with every single one. So I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you have he- you have the Heinrich Harburg who played most of the games. You start off Jeff Sims only throws one touchdown pass last year, and it happened to be in the first game on a broken trick play mm-hmm. that just happened to get open. And then Chuba Purdy played two three games. So like it's just hopefully gets a little bit more Consistent. stability. Yeah. yeah, and it was an interesting thing too. I seen. With one of your tweets and from just the press conference yesterday, Matt Rule wants a fourth scholarship quarterback, or he like he would love to have one. is what he said. Like I found that pretty interesting. What's your take on that?
0: Yeah, I thought it was one of the more interesting nuggets that came out of that 36 minutes from Matt Rule. Um, you know, and the question I think came from the from the idea of okay, is Nebraska going to find or look for? a quarterback out of the portal when it opens in late April and early May. And, and everybody at, by that point will have gone through spring ball and the writing will be on the wall for some guys who know, Ah, eh, you know, I'm not going to be in the picture here, so maybe I'll enter and, and will Nebraska be looking for an older guy, right? Because you're the guys that they have, it's not just about talent and wanting another guy. It's about finding somebody who's got a little experience. I mean, Heinrich, Heinrich Harburg started eight games for Nebraska last year. A year ago, 2022 – he wasn't even allowed in position meetings for yeah. quarterbacks um, because the, the staff at the time didn't feel like he had much of a future at that spot. And you've got Daniel Kalen and Dylan Raiola who are who have been on campus for a month. They're true freshmen. They're early enrollees. They should still be getting ready to go to their high school proms, but they're on campus. So, like, do you bring in somebody else? And, and you know, Matt Rule, I think, left the door open to that possibility saying, If we have to, we will, and there's plenty of attractive things about Nebraska that would bring people in, but he said, you know, we're going to be all in with these three guys. He said, you know, three scholarships, uh, scholarship quarterbacks, the value here is going to be reps and getting all three of these guys as many spring reps as you can and letting it play out. And if at the end of that they feel like, eh, you know, we probably maybe should add somebody to help bring them along, then they can do that. But at this point they feel like moving forward they have – their guys in the room so i thought that was notable
2: yeah that is a very interesting uh nugget there because you know before we got dylan rayola you know we wanted that experienced quarterback to come in and obviously you know with dylan rayola coming in you, you can't say no to that obviously so um but it's just the dynamic shifted of like bringing in two potentially two quarterbacks and now that you got dylan rayola it's kind of like well and he also got daniel kalen and Heinrich carberg and but yeah i i was surprised to see he even um Put the put the idea out there. You know, he may have been thinking it with the staff and stuff like that, but to say it actually in a press conference, I was uh, a, little, a little intrigued by that. So,
1: yeah. Um, there was a, a couple weeks back. There was the uh, Dana Holgerson rumors. Mm-hmm. Is, is anything happened with that, or do you, you know? I don't. It's kind of interesting because the original thought was like, "Well, maybe he be our QB coach because he has some experience with that." And then we hire Glenn Thomas. Um, I find it in- interesting that. I'd seen a week ago or like two weeks ago there was still a possibility of maybe him joining the staff as like just a an assistant, but
0: well, yeah i mean initially when his name came up, it surprised me the the notion or it would have it would have shocked me if they would have made him the quarterback coach or or co o c or whatever because his tree is that air raid Mike Leach style tree. And that's not what Nebraska wants to do. I mean, Matt Mm -hmm. Rule has spelled that out many times. They want to be a ground-based team. They want to win the fourth quarter. They want to play to where they are at at Nebraska, where it gets cold, where it gets windy, where you need to be able to rely on running the ball late and and sort of pounding into submission your opponent. And so, like, it never made sense to me, this idea that they bring in Holgerson to turn Nebraska into an air raid. What I what I appreciate about that conversation, and maybe he ends up at Nebraska as an analyst, which is not all that uncommon. Guys who've been head coaches, they come and they lend their expertise behind the scenes, and and they you know help out where they can. They don't recruit, but they you know look in, they 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 scout the program, and they offer insight that sort of thing. I, what I appreciate about that idea is that I think it shows that Matt Rule is is leaving no stone unturned to what the offense could look like moving forward because you know again you, you have a, an arm talent and a, and a talent overall in Dylan Raiola who's different from anyone they had last year Daniel Kalen is different than anyone they had last year and so why not have a guy like that whose expertise especially in the passing game uh you know is, is so profound and so Maybe he still ends up at Nebraska. Typically, these sort of hires uh, play out by now, January, February, so it's still possible. But even if it doesn't, I just think it's another example of Nebraska really uh, casting a wide net for what this offense could look like. Because, again, you think about last year when Harburg was the starter, they are running the option, option pitches. Like that's Mm -hmm. not what they want to do long term, but I think it showed a willingness to adapt to the strength of the personnel that you had and and – obviously with the end goal toward winning games and i think that's sort of an example what they are doing with holgerson too
1: yeah no all right uh we're gonna take a small break and then we'll head into baseball Welcome back. We're going to go in our final segment here over the baseball team. we got baseball season just around the corner. They play Baylor down at the Shriners Children's Invitational or whatever. College
0: remember. Showdown. Yeah, yeah,
1: something like that down at the Texas Rangers Stadium in Arlington. So um, just start off, like, realistically, you know, last year, got close, really good offense, two highly picked uh, prospects with Will Anderson and Bryce Matthews. What are like what would you think as would be the expectations for next year's or this this coming seasons cuz there's a lot to unravel I guess from last year.
0: Well, I think the baseline any year it should at the very minimum be make the Big 10 tournament. Yeah. You know, it's a 13 team league this year. It's going to be 17 next year, but 13 team this year top 8 make it to Omaha and and you got to do that. They didn't do that 2 years ago that's a tough look, especially when you're the host and you put as much as Nebraska puts into the sport. So I think you start there. Uh, and then, really, most years, Nebraska should be in the conversation for a regional, not to say that they necessarily should go every year uh, because there's 300 Division One teams and only 64 make the field. So it's not always easy, especially as a Northern team. But I think you got to be in the conversation for that thing. Um, you know, whether that means you're making a deep run in the Big Ten tournament – or in the at-large conversation in May and playing meaningful baseball games while you're looking at that selection committee. And so I think, you know, you look at their team last year, they they did make the Big Ten tournament, made the semifinals, lost to Maryland, which was really good last year at the time. Um, but they, had, they, they were out of the at-large conversation by early April, which is a death knell mm-hmm. when you're playing in the Big Ten because – unlike the sec or the acc you can't have a slow start because you can't make it up in the season if you're in the sec or the acc every weekend is tough but it's also an opportunity to build your rpi in the big 10 you know you have your first few weeks like nebraska is going to have again this year and if you don't make hay then the midweek games tend to not move the needle um you know, you're playing Northwestern and Penn State and Michigan State. And it's just not not all that helpful. So they dug themselves a hole last year, weren't able to dig out of it. So, like, what I th- I think that's really illustrated in the sense that, like, by late May, Nebraska could have won the Big Ten. They, they went into the last weekend mathematically mm-hmm. alive to win the Big Ten. They had zero chance to make it as an at-large team at that point, which I think tells you, um, you know, one, how they needed to start faster. Um but it also just kind of tells you. I think the lack of depth that they had. I mean, they they struggled in the midweek. They went six and six. Yeah. You you got to do better than that. You got to you got to have a winning record in the midweek. They lost to some teams they shouldn't lose to, and so that to me was a reflection of a lack of depth. And they didn't they didn't know on a Tuesday or Wednesday who they were going to start at pitcher. They kind of cycled through guys, and nobody ever really uh, seized the job and and ran with it. Uh, they tried a bunch of different players, and so that was really their downfall. Especially when you look at the talent that they had. You mentioned Bryce Matthews, Max Anderson. They also had uh, two starters in Emmett Olsen and Jace Kaminska, who were the Friday and Saturday guys. They were top 10 round picks. Um, and e- despite all that, and that's some of their best draft talent that they've had in the last 10 to 15 years, they couldn't make it. Yeah. So to me, that was the theme going into this year is what's the depth look like? And, and a lot of the obvious star power is not there. I think Nebraska – it's history would tell you that those guys will emerge, whether that's Dylan Carey at shortstop or Gabe, uh, Gabe Swanson in the outfield. Maybe Drew Christo makes that jump as, as a starter uh, on the mound. But it's the other guys that I'm interested in. What's the bottom third of the lineup look like? What mm-hmm. does it look like when two of your, your starting nine aren't in the lineup? Like how much of a drop-off is there? What does your Tuesday and Wednesday pitching situation look like? So. That, to me, is what's going to define this season is not just how do they compete on the weekend in the Big Ten, but how much do they take care of business against teams that they need to beat and have that depth um, to, to, to build up those wins to the point to where you are in that at-large conversation come May.
1: Right, and um, I find this interesting, too. Like The additions from the JUCO route, like you have Tyler Stone from Iowa Western and you have Rhett Stokes, who both played very well last year. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think how much of an impact they will make, because I know Tyler Stone, I mean, he had 17 home runs last year for Iowa Western. Um, what do you think is the – how much of an impact does that make, especially with losing, like we said, the star power from last year?
0: Yeah, you know, some outlets that cover them nationally say that Nebraska had the best junior college class coming in, and so they feel like they found sort of an inefficiency there where most schools have pivoted to the portal. and Nebraska added some players out of the portal too – but they like the junior college guys, one, for sort of the grittiness that they mm-hmm. have. Like, if you're going to a junior college to play baseball, like, that's all there is. You've got to yeah. love the game. And so they like bringing in guys like that. But then also, for depth purposes, I think it's helpful because they kind of are of the thought that, okay, guys come here as juniors then. Maybe, you know, on the one hand, maybe they're so good that they get drafted and they move on. But if they're not, then they come back as seniors and those guys tend to be pretty good. Uh, e. Fry Cervantes was an example of that from a couple years ago. Uh, I think Ben Columbus is an example of that, maybe for this year. he's a catcher, uh, former Juco guy who's here now. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Tyler Stone could be that guy at first base. Um, they added a pitcher by the name of Mason McConaughey, who was a really good junior college pitcher. So I'll be interested to see what his role is, whether that's in the rotation, maybe a midweek guy, long relief. So they do have – some accomplished players at the lower level who's who who come in who've proven sort of their love of the grind um who produced and now it's just a matter can they do it here and yeah i think that's absolutely a part of the conversation when you talk about just the depth of this program and and building out the roster so maybe it's not just your top 20 guys that you have confidence in maybe it's your top 35 36 out of 40.
2: Yeah, and, you know, last year with, with the pitching struggles, obviously we got a new pitching coach. Before that, you know, I didn't realize how how much talent we really had in our team like last night. We looked up Jackson Brockett and just realized how good of a high school career he had. Mm. And, it you know, it just seemed like he couldn't—obviously could not find a, a right combination of pitchers um, um, for the, the uh, weekdays or weekends. And, you know— just the pitching was just so tough. What what do you think went wrong in that situation of just uh, uh, last year and then led to the the firing and then hiring of uh, Rob Childress?
0: Well, I mean, that's a good question. I, I think they made that move. I mean, you look at Rob Childress's history, like he's extremely accomplished. That's mm-hmm. it's a major hire for Nebraska, not just because he was the architect for Nebraska's best pitching staffs ever in the early 2000s. But also because of what he's done since then. I mean, he was a he was a head coach in the Big Twelve and, and the ACC at Texas A and M for 16 years. He took them to regionals like every year. And his what's what's made him great as a pitching coach, or at least one of the things, is his emphasis on keeping a simple delivery and being able to repeat it over and over. So, like what you've seen with some of the players that they've recruited this year, and how he's worked with some returners like Jackson Brockett or Drew Cristo has been let's whatever you do with your delivery make sure it's something that you can do over and over again Mm -hmm. because they have a lot of arms on this roster that are that are stuff arms guys with velocity guys with movement on their pitches that can get swings and misses but but some of them are also guys who don't always know where the ball's going and so if you can harness that stuff then you've got something, and mm-hmm. I think that's what they're banking on uh, with some of these players. And I think like Christo is a great example of that. He's He was a top 100 recruit out of Elkhorn, uh, tons of stuff, has all the intangibles, great leader, but the, the control, the command wasn't always there, and that was sort of his undoing. And so I think he's a really interesting uh, case study this year of the impact of Rob Childress. Is like if he can stay in the zone consistently and attack with the pitches and the stuff that he has – like, he could make a major jump, and I think that's true for a lot of the guys. And I think that's one thing that you point to when you talk about, okay, why 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 will Nebraska have more depth this year other than, okay, they have new players? Well, I think one of those reasons is you have a guy now in Rob Childress who's working with these guys, and if they have the stuff and it's all about controlling it, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity there for some major growth, and now it's a matter of going out and, and showing what you've got yeah exactly
1: yeah it just really seems like we have what we need is just the fact that can they perform like or like can they execute n- execute that's that's the word i was looking for like it's just it's an interesting situation with baseballs because you know historically i mean we aren't like you know top you know in like in country but like you know we had those years like even recently like we almost took down number one arkansas and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they're regional so like it's interesting to look at that way and how what our ceiling could be, but also the floor, too. Like, last year, losing all those midweek games, I guess I feel like we went to so many of them. We pretty much went to all of them. Yeah. (laughs) The Omaha games, like, I don't know how you dropped those, and then they just did. And then, like, Creighton, too, you dropped the one that, unfortunately, got moved to another day, like, a whole month. Right. Play the final inning and the, the final two innings, and luckily they pulled off the win. But even the loss to North Dakota State, or I think, yeah, mm-hmm. it would have been that. So like, it's interesting. Got it. Some look at the schedule this year. We got a little couple interesting midweek games, like you got the Kansas and Kansas States. So, mm-hmm. I mean, interesting. There's a lot of potential. It's just the question is, can they perform and or execute? So,
0: yeah, they beefed up the schedule too. The midweek stuff. I mean, they they added Kansas and another game with Kansas State. Wichita State's back on there. So I think that was another thing where like. You don't want to have too many of those midweek games where you're like, ugh, you got to win this. And even Mm -hmm. if you do, it doesn't help you and and may hurt you. I mean, Nebraska's had games like that where they're playing a team that's so far down the RPI list that even if you win it at home, you might drop a couple spots. So I think that was something else they've really tried to focus on was like, let's be intentional with our scheduling. You don't want to overdo it, but you also don't want so many games where you kind of feel like it's a no-win situation. Yeah. And I find
1: it interesting, too, after the, the Schreiner, um, th- uh, the College Classic, then you get to go down to GCU, mm-hmm. who's been producing MLB talent for at least recently a lot. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they had a top 15 player this year. So it's kind of interesting. And then you go into uh, Charleston, take car- uh, College of Charleston, and you're back at home. So, like, or get a play at home. So interesting start to the season. And it's gonna really show. I like you said, it's gonna if you start off hot, it could really make a big difference going down down the road. Because as we know, the Big Ten isn't you know like you said, top of the pecking order. Yeah, top Not of the food baseball. chain. Yeah, top of the food chain in baseball. So it'll be interesting. Um, I did say on here. Will Bolt, hot seat. I mean, if things don't go right, it's because we've been talking about it. Like, is it a Scott Frost situation? No. Yeah. It's hard to, like, compare that because it's, it's two different sports. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not, you know, we're But not... just the
2: alumni coming back right. and, and yes. younger ones who are leading the team is kind of like what I draw the relation to, and especially from early success. You know, Scott Frost, obviously, UCF success, and then Will Bolt, first year here, Big Ten champion, um, and really looking good. Um, but then again, those aren't really his players entirely, and so now— moving over into these are like his, his team. yeah yeah. Mm.
0: yeah that's true i mean a lot of those players in 21 were erstad recruits um but you know like kade povich was a guy who's now high up in the minor league system who was nebraska's ace on that 21 team he was a he was bolt's uh, i think first recruit um you know max anderson bryce matthews were both bolt recruits i think everybody now is a Bolt recruit outside of Kyle Perry, who's in his 60 He's He's been there around, mm-hmm. around longer than the... Was Spencer stuff.
1: Schwellenbach? He was an Bolt Erstad guy.
0: Erstad, okay. Yep. So, uh, you know, I certainly with the resources that Nebraska puts in, there's uh, there are certain expectations. And I think the moves that Bolt made in the offseason show that he's he feels that sense of urgency, mm-hmm. right? You don't make two staffing changes. You don't fire your pitching coach and 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 move on from your longtime volunteer and Danny Marcuzo and hire Mike Siriani and Rob Childress unless you're serious about winning, mm-hmm. because make no mistake, though, that staff last year was close. Like they respected each other. Their families did stuff together. So it was it wasn't um, a transactional move like that. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah. that cost him something personally to do that. And I, I you know, I just think there's there's. That, that really shows that conviction yeah. that there is. And it really, to me, the staff that they have, um, the recruiting has been good. The vision has been good. Um, they they figured a few things out with NIL and sort of how you pay players um, through the the Alston scholarship. That's a relatively new thing where if you hit a certain benchmark academically, Nebraska can pay you uh, a few thousand dollars a year. That's made a difference for, for them as well. So I think they feel like they're in a position – Moving forward, I don't foresee a situation where he wouldn't be the coach in 25. Um, you know, outside of him wanting to go somewhere else, I don't see that happening. Um, so, barring some kind of crazy off the field stuff, I think you 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 move forward with what you have, mm-hmm. um, and and just kind of you know you, you see the vision, and, and of course it needs to produce. You need to see it sooner than later. Um, but I do feel like they there's a confidence there that they've got the people in place to do what they want.
2: Yeah, I guess I cannot answer my question um, because I mean that's just been a hot topic that
1: Dylan and I have gone circles and debated back and forth. We <laughs> debate on whether or not do we get rid of Will Bolt. Like I don't, I don't like firing coaches and no.
2: I mean, I, I no one does because I mean that's not the.
1: It just shows like yeah we've hit rock bottom, rock bottom, and so I mean, but we yeah we've been discussing. We were discussing
0: it last night, just mm-hmm. talking about we were writing up the outline. Well, think about a year ago. I mean, a year ago, people were talking about fri- firing Fred Hoiberg, right? Yeah, like that was a thought, and they didn't do it. And he figured some things out, and they're they're taken off. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, you have to have that understanding behind the scenes, administratively. Like, yeah. what, what's the vision? What are you moving forward with? And I think there is that. Like to me, like you you go down the firing road, uh, road, either if things totally bottom out. Or if you can if you can see complacency in the yeah. program where the coach you know, the effort's not there, they've lost the team. I don't see anything like that with Nebraska baseball at this point. So I, I think you you know, you double down on the process and and you see where it goes. And and for what it's worth, you know, I think they'll be in that conversation for a regional this year. But now it's time to go out and prove it.
2: Yeah, exactly. That uh, that
0: has been a lot of the things is just
1: going out and actually proving it. I was gonna ask something. Um like speaking of like this so like ace wise. Um, I know they haven't really like released anything. Is Drew Cristo going to be our ace? I've my friend, our friend Justice. He's really good friends with Caleb Clark, hmm. and um, and nothing like that. But like, because we were thinking it probably would be either him or Kyle Perry. But just because of the you know experience, so I I didn't know what your thought on that was. Because I know they haven't released anything yet.
0: So. Right? Uh, you know, I think they like Perry out of the bullpen. They tried him in the the rotation a couple years ago. He saved a few games for them last year. So I think he's probably someone that they like in a high leverage role late. Um, You know, Christo certainly is an option. I think Brett Sears is a senior who was a reliever at Nebraska last year, struggled in that role, uh, had a really good summer, really good fall. I think he's someone that you can look at. Um, You know, there are a number of freshmen. That Maybe it's not the weekend, but midweek. I think Ty Horn is a guy from Kansas uh, who has a really high ceiling, Ryan Harahill, an in-state kid. Tucker Timmerman is an in-state kid. Um, And then they added some guys out of the portal that their role is kind of to be determined, guys like uh, Bobby Olson, um, you know, in particular is someone who could probably start or relieve. And so I wonder if the pitching takes shape for Nebraska in such a way that maybe they don't have that true workhorse ace maybe they have four or five guys whose mission is to get you five innings and then you turn it over to the bullpen. And I think that maybe is where their strength is this year is they can shorten games and say, hey, if you can get us five, we've got guys on the back end Mm -hmm. who can finish it off. Mm -hmm. And you look at who they added, I think they've got five guys now in the pen who have saved a college baseball game at some point in their careers somewhere. Um, Casey Dice is an incomer, Evan Borst. Uh, is somebody who's in there. Trey Fromm was a former uh, in state high school standout who went the junior college route. He was hurt last year and now he's back throwing mid 90s. Uh, Perry, like we mentioned, like there's just, there are a number of options in the bullpen. Uh, Nate Freilich, yeah or I'm sorry, Kyle Freilich, uh, who's a Northwestern State transfer, someone else they really like. So I think that maybe is kind of where you go is like you're not asking too much for whoever is starting. But you're, you're again saying give, give give us give us some length. Try to be efficient, and then we're going to turn it over to the bullpen and shorten this thing.
1: And uh, I don't think you mentioned Will Walsh too. Is will Walsh. is he sticking with yep. the utility routes?
0: Yeah, he'll be a two-way guy. He, yeah, he's probably going to be in the rotation too. Jackson Brockett, like we mentioned, is in that mix as well. It will
1: be interesting to see the development too with bringing back to Lincoln East Jalen Worsley. There you like go. he's coming in a sophomore year, I'm interested to see what the development is from there because. There's a few couple outings last year. It didn't, you know, go very well. He came in most of the time with the midweek games, but um, I'm just interested to see how much that goes in. And like you said, like the five innings, that's kind of interesting. Um, how that? I'm just interested to see how the season goes. It's just we were, were so close, so it'll be fun. Yeah. You have anything else? Well, I guess uh, transition to our Super Bowl pick and uh, close out the show. Yeah, of course. Can't forget about the biggest event. There we go. Biggest sport sporting event of the year so far, probably, just the entire year. Super Bowl. You're Kansas City Chiefs. They're taking on the San Francisco 49ers. Um, it's, the team, it's the game that, you know, America didn't want, but it still should be a good game. I mean, <laughs> I think America wanted Ravens, Lions, just to change it up. Yeah. But, you know, can't get everything you want. So. so, yeah, I'll have Blake go first, and then we'll go around the horn.
2: Again, it's funny. I've talked about it quite a few times, you know, uh, It, you know, four years ago, the Chiefs, everyone wanted to be Patrick Mahomes, had the haircut and everything like that, and you know, and oh, everyone loves the Chiefs because you know we were not great for the longest time, and you know, I went to a game when I was really young when we weren't the greatest, and um, you know, just seeing obviously the transition now to be a a powerhouse team, and just someone, especially with this team, I did not think we're gonna make the Super Bowl at all. Like I'm gonna be honest, there's just. Parts of our game, more importantly with our offense, were just obviously wouldn't click. The catching issue was, um, you know, outlandish with how, with how bad that was with drop passes and stuff. But this game, I I think the playing field is pretty level, um, just because the Chiefs ob- obviously have proved, even when I think there are games like the Baltimore game, really. I, I'll be honest, going into that, I thought Baltimore was the more physical team, but I think the Chiefs proved that, especially on defense, that they were the more physical team, and really, I think that game could have been worse than what it was, but Lamar was able to escape the pocket a lot more than a lot of other people were, because there were times where we had pressure on him, and he could have been sacked, and I think Brock Purdy isn't the guy we're just going to let run away, even though we saw that against the Lions, he was able to run quite a bit. Our defense is really going to determine this game, um, but for the I mean, the 49ers side of thing, they have a You know, powerhouse of an offense, and so can you really lock down all the guys, and Kittle is someone who, as of late, I feel like has been sneaky, you know, you don't really see him until he pops up, and oh my god, he has a huge catch, and there he is, uh, scoring a touchdown. So, that'll be interesting to see how all the pieces form together, Um, but I gotta go with the Chiefs, I think the defense, um, and getting to Brock Purdy um, is gonna be a huge thing, and if we can uh, sack him a few times, and hold them to a few points, then it's totally in our hands. Hmm.
0: I think of the phrase, you, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. Yeah. And I think the Chiefs have now reached that age yes. where yes, they have. people are sick of them. And full disclosure, I'm a Broncos fan, so I was never a big Chiefs fan anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I think generally that's the sentiment that's, mm-hmm. that's a little bit out there. You know, you, you got to respect the greatness for sure of, of Mahomes and Kelsey and what they've done. Um, you know... It's hard to bet against them. Hard to pick yeah. against them at this point. Like it feels like they're going to figure it out. That their their defense uh, has figured things out, especially in the postseason. They've mm-hmm. been really good. They they and and I think just the presence of Mahomes makes opponents nervous. Yeah, like even if he, if he if he hasn't done much yet, like there's just sort of this tension that you can feel from Baltimore and you know Miami, like. you you can't fall behind these guys yeah and if you do you're in big trouble and so i I think there's just an aura about the chiefs that sort of messes with opponents and makes them do things that they aren't used to doing so i'll be curious to see if san francisco falls into that or if they just kind of do what they do um with their positionless pound pound the ball sort of defense or or, or offense so I, i think kansas city will win i think it'll be a good game um but these are two teams that that know what they are, that that are familiar with winning in recent years. Um, so I think it'll be a close one too.
1: Yeah. So this is interesting. Um, I, you know, the Niners, the Lions had a 17 point lead going in half, going in the second half, and you know the Lions pulled a Lions and blew the lead. I I knew it though. To be fair,
2: they just I, couldn't I play it.
1: defense in that second half. It was kind of crazy. And the Niners are the better team. I mean, they were better than the Lions, mm. honestly. Personally, just in general from the entire season, they were. Um, the Lions were varied. Um, they had they had some consistency, but the Niners in general have been consistent. Now, the Chiefs haven't been consistent, I mean, during the regular season until mm-hmm. they final, that final stretch. They just kept knocking off wins. And you had a couple losses, but I just feel like the Kansas City Chiefs, their defense, this is the best defense from the Kansas City yes. Chiefs. I've, I've watched Chiefs games for a while. I mean, I'm not a Chiefs fan, but, you know. They their defense is very, very good. But so is the Niners. The Niners offense and defense are fantastic. But personally I can't take the Niners. Um so I'm gonna take the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. And you can't like you said, you can't bet against the Kansas City Chiefs. It just it feels like it's their it's it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. If, it's eventually it's, it's how it's gonna go. And I'm interested to see you were mentioning how you can't get behind the Kansas Chiefs Kansas City Chiefs. Well, when you're ahead, you still can't look You're back you, you gotta keep going can't can't ask uh, buffalo yeah yeah buffalo they couldn't handle it so i think kansas, she, kansas city gets the win um it'll be funny kansas city gets to play a playoff game in allegiant stadium before the raiders do so <laughs> good one so. and there's a cheese flag actually buried underneath the stadium there is it's pretty funny so i think kansas city gets the win so so that is it. That was the last take. Uh, thank
0: you, Evan, for coming on. Yeah, thank you guys. This was fun.
1: So yeah, uh, check us out. Check Evan on Twitter. What's your uh, handle? You shout, uh, shout at out.
0: Evan Bland O W
1: H. Yeah, he does a lot of stuff. He just kind of, whenever there's press conference or articles or anything,
0: always just, doing yeah, something. Always oh, something. That's the fun of it.
1: So yeah, uh, check us out on Twitter at uh, the last take twenty two capital T L T, and. Uh, Instagram, we don't really use it really that much <laughs> anymore, but we still use it. Uh, all lowercase, Elastic Pod, and Facebook don't use it, but we have it. So if you want to follow that, you can go there. So yeah, um, GBR. Yeah, GBR.